Well, welcome back this week. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get a head start. Turn to Mark 4 today. That's where we're going to be. Uh, Kevin, have you ever noticed how throughout Scripture, it seems like God uses body parts quite frequently to make a spiritual point or, or, or an observation or, or something for us to understand. He even calls us the body of Christ. He does. And Literally the body. We have our own members and parts to it. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So thinking through that, looking at some different examples through Scripture that he, he does that with is, um, you know, think of Isaiah 52, 7. says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. I don't usually find feet that beautiful. Most people don't. Uh, another one, one of your favorite verses, passages, oh, pa- books. James. James. It's one of my favorite passages because it's so convicting. Now, we went through, let's give him a test this morning. We went through the book of James not too long ago. Yes. What was one of the main things? It's something body parts sets ablaze the whole life. Anybody? It's like a ship. Oh, yes. Tongue. Okay, A couple good. people some stuck their tongue at us. <laughs> some people were paying attention. I like that. So that's always good. Uh, Matthew six twenty two. he talks about how the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, then your whole body is going to be full of light. Matthew 10, 30, even the hairs on your head, your beautiful head, are numbered. <laughs> that's, that's not a metaphor at all. Yeah. Yeah. It still counts. It is part of my head. That's not even a metaphor, though. You just threw that in there to make fun of my baldness. <laughs> Maybe. It doesn't even fit into your examples. Our text today also contains one, uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert for anybody out there. That's paying attention to us at this point. Mark 4, 9 talks about Jesus when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And that's going to be our challenge. Because if you truly hear something, it makes an effect. I I have many times in my parenting journey known that even though I've said something to my children, I don't think they heard me. And how can I tell? Because nothing's happening. (laughs) <laughs> you know, take the garbage out, please. Or, hey, stop hitting me with a, a baseball bat. Whatever the command is. And it, and it hasn't affected Ouch. them. They, they're still hitting me or not taking out the trash. Or, honestly, if I was really real, I think my wife could preach the same thing about <laughs> when she's saying something to me and whether I'm hearing her or not. Hey, because are you listening to me? It doesn't yes. seem like it because you're still just staring at your phone, Kevin. <laughs> to hear something and to really hear it affects us in a radical way. And we're going to talk about the tragedy of when we hear the message of God and nothing happens. And that's what the parable today is all about that we're going to look at. So so let's kick it off. Let's kick it off. Mark 4. Mark 4. We're going to read through it. Mark 4, <laughs> 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, dot, dot, dot. We'll get to that in a second. But let's first kind of talk about this setting, talk about what's going on um, at the beginning of this story today. Well, as is Jesus' habit, he begins to teach again. And this time he is by the Sea of Galilee. He's actually been in this region for a while. And we saw a story just a couple weeks ago where the circumstances seemed pretty familiar, didn't they? Massive crowds, 
unruly, get in the boat and get away. Mass of mob mentality crowd. Yeah. And yeah, he had to, he had to ask his disciples to get him a boat so he didn't get crushed. It's actually brilliant when you think about it. Water yeah. carries, right? Water, you can hear things a lot longer. Plus, it sets him back so he's not crowded around and uh, in danger as much, if you will. And so he's in a boat. People are on the land, and he begins teaching them about this parable that we're going to read here in a second. Yes, yeah, as he was teaching them in parables. What what is a parable? Well, it's a story that teaches a deeper truth. There's been a couple things that he's said to them in parables before, but we haven't actually heard the teaching of an entire parable. And here in chapter 4, our author Mark breaks from his normal style. He's a total narrative guy. Like, he did this, and then this happened, and immediately this happened, and then he went over here, and immediately this happened. Like, he's an action guy. He actually breaks... Once of only two times in the entire book of Mark where he breaks for a large chunk of Jesus' teaching. So this is the first of two, and he's going to teach four parables in this chapter. This is the longest of the four, so we're going to take it all by itself and kind of examine what it means for us. So we get the whole picture right off the bat. Let's, yeah. let's kind of read the whole parable, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll break it down, and we'll actually read how Jesus breaks it down and applies it to us. It's kind of nice because he does the exegesis yeah. for us. It's really He nice. explains it for us. So, um, why don't you kick us off in in verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right. Jesus, the master storyteller, he's really good at this. And we'll see it a couple times, like I said, just in in chapter four. But. What he does here is, smartly, he uses a setting and a topic that would be familiar to his audience so that hopefully they kind of understood it because it was an agrarian society, one where you had to grow your own food, and, of course, farming was the most prevalent occupation that existed at this time. Even if you weren't a farmer by trade, you understood the technique because you had to do some farming of your own to grow food. So it's a pretty simple story. Pretty pretty simple story. This sower goes out. And he plants a seed. Now, so it's also known as a seamstress. No, that's a, a sower. Di- that's a different parable. One Kevin. who sows. No, not that. No. Not that sower. Bah, wah, wah. Bad joke, Kevin. Okay, yeah. continue it hit on. the first service didn't necessarily hit this service. They liked it. First service loved this. They, they thought it joke. was funny. Not so much. Anyways, why do you got to tell them that I tell the same joke both <laughs> service? That's rude. That's rude, Drew. Oh, man. If they only knew. <laughs> a sower, as you see our friend here on the screen, he goes out and he goes to plant his seeds. He goes to throw his seeds out, and the seeds fall everywhere. Mm-hmm. So some fall on the, the path, and the birds come, and they take it, and they eat it. Um, some fall on a rocky soil, and it takes root, and it grows up, but then the sun comes out and kills it. Some seed fall in those thorny areas. <sighs> Uh, in the field there, and the thorn 
you know, they take all the nutrients and choke out the seeds and, and they die. And then you have the seeds that fall on the good soil where he was intending or he was wanting the seeds to fall. And then those seeds, they grow and they increase and they multiply. And it's this beautiful picture of farming. And that was Jesus' teaching. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, that might have been disappointing to some. <laughs> They're thinking, wait, seeds and farming stuff? I'm so birds, confused. Yeah. Thorns? I thought you were a spiritual man, Jesus. I thought, aren't you going to tell us about the kingdom of God? Aren't you going to tell us about life change and discipleship? Or Pastor Kevin and Pastor Drew said the theme of this book is come follow me. There's, there's none of that in there. But in fact, there actually is a whole lot of that in there. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. There was a lot of people actually who were like, wait, what? What's happening here? Even his disciples. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. So it wasn't just the crowd that was a little confused on what Jesus was talking about. It was his disciples and his committed followers because when he's alone, they come to him and they say, I'm sorry, what? Like, I got people asking me what's going, like, what, what does Jesus mean here? I don't know. So anytime somebody asks me a question that I don't know the answer, I'm just like, why don't you just pray about that and see what Holy Spirit tells you? Yeah, that's, no. what, that's what Peter said. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's confusing. This is one of the first times it, it seems that Jesus kind of teaches in this way with parables. And, and so what he's going to do is he's going to kind of break it down for his disciples and his committed followers that are asking him you know, what this means, but first... He and he's, he's going to talk a little bit about parables. Exactly. And the style of teaching. When he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, he's talking a little bit about this whole, why am I teaching this way, and why am I a little hard to understand? So that's interesting in itself, too, because what is the secret, of the secret of the kingdom of God? And how did they get it? How did they get it? I think it's pretty interesting, because he says, to you has been given the secret, even though, in fact, they didn't understand it. <laughs> But he says, to you has been given the secret, which I think, let's first of all note how they got it. They didn't attain to it. They weren't clever enough and savvy enough to where they could all pat themselves on the back and go, yeah, I've, I figured out the secret of God. I'm good. I'm smart. That's what we'd all like to do, honestly. I mean, we'd all like to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, even sitting here in a, in a Christian evangelical church today, say, man, we've, we've, we've figured this out. We're smart enough to understand that the Bible's true and God's real. And those people on the outside, they're not quite as clever as me when, in fact, it's been given to us. We wouldn't have ears to hear or hearts to receive if it weren't for the gift of grace in God himself. So, so the secret's been given. Yes. Not attained. Earned. If you earned, yeah, yeah, is a better word. Yeah. So what's the secret? Well, the secret is Jesus. Because Jesus is the mystery of God revealed, right? I mean, the secret is that the kingdom of God has come in the form of Jesus and his word and his works and his person. It's Jesus Christ. And so it's a secret because 
God has chosen to reveal himself or, or give himself to us, per se, in a veiled and unexpected way, that of Jesus Christ. Think about what we're celebrating, the nativity. It's think Christmas. About, yeah. Think about um, coming to the Virgin Mary in this tiny town of Nazareth from this humble beginning in a manger amongst animals and hay that's mysterious. And it, it takes faith to recognize the Son of God in a manger born to a humble carpenter's wife in little old Nazareth. And indeed, without faith, it's impossible to please God, we find in the other epistles. And it's those with faith that understand now and accept the parables. So Jesus is saying, to you has been given the mystery, the secret of God, because Jesus has been given to them. And what was their call when they became the apostles? It wasn't just go preach in my name and cast out demons. It was be with me first. They were called to be with Jesus and then to go out and to preach and cast out demons in his name. So it's, it's the fact that they're with him now. This is the secret. This is the mystery. Me, right here with you, Jesus says. So Jesus' disciples, his committed followers, they have the secret. They, they know what it is. But everyone else, those on the outside, as, as Mark says there, those on the outside, they don't have it. They have parables. It's pretty funny for Jesus to call the the. The Pharisees, the scribes, the general public, those on the outside. So contrary to that day and age, right? Because the, the scribes and the Pharisees, that's who everyone else went to for their teaching, right? Everyone else came to them. They thought they, they were, were the, on the insiders. They were the insiders. They had all the information. But when Jesus came, he kind of switches it all around. They become the outsiders. And Jesus is the one with the true message, with the, the true call to come follow me. And think about even how Jews look at the world. Uh, there was Jews, and then everybody else was Gentiles. Mm. Just the rest of y'all. If you're not Jewish, you're, you're just Gentiles. That's y'all, y'all. I don't care where you're from. I don't care uh, what your family lineage is or what country you're from or, or your, the color of your skin, the uniqueness of your story. Don't care. You're just on the outside. You're a Gentile. And Jesus even flips that around, doesn't he, when he says, I'm calling all nations to myself. And that's just how Jesus rolls. He, he, he likes this mystery. He likes this secret thing. That's how, how God is. He does unexpected things so that we can't, again, pat ourselves on the back and take credit for figuring out God's plans. God does things in unexpected ways. Um, he quotes Isaiah 6 kind of at the end there. That's why it's in quotes uh, about uh, them seeing but not really perceiving hearing but not understanding, which again is key to this whole parable uh, language and key to this very first parable as well. So let's move on to verse uh, 13 there. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Nope. How then will you <laughs> understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So what I love here is just kind of Jesus' example of his patience and his mercy and his grace for those even on the inside, the disciples and his committed followers who he's talking to right here, who still didn't really get it, who still didn't understand fully. So he patiently explains this parable, um, and we'll see that as we go through the rest of our text. Not without giving him a little rebuke, though. <laughs> 
He says, how then will you understand all the parables? Uh, interestingly enough, figuring out this parable and understanding this parable is apparently a key to unlocking parables in general. This is one of those things. This is, this is why he says it that way. How will you understand all the parables if you don't get this one, which is kind of a key. So a couple of things to think about as we go through this parable with the rest of our time. Now, we know that when we see repetition of words or phrases in Scripture, that should cause us to pause for a second and figure out, okay, what's the point that, that the author is trying to make here or that God is trying to make? So when we read through this parable, you'll see that the word word or logos. Word. Word. Word to your mama, Drew. <laughs> yes. Word up. Word up. Uh, the word word is used eight times in this parable. Then you have another word here, which occurs four different times in this parable. So those are kind of our two key words to pay attention to, uh, no pun intended, as we go throughout this uh, parable. All right, so the word word, logos, uh, the sower sows the word. That's, that's what the seed represents. It's the word. Um, if you want to know what the word is, think about it as the word of God. We, we often say the word of God uh, when we're talking about the Bible. Uh, think about John chapter 1, verse 1, where Jesus Christ himself is called the word in the flesh. Essentially, here the word represents the totality of the gospel of Jesus, mm -hmm. the whole thing. It's a, it's a quick way to refer to all the teachings of Jesus um, the works of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he accomplished. Um, it's the whole gospel. So in these four scenarios, the word, the seeds planted, uh, represents the potential for somebody that hears and either responds or doesn't respond, depending on the person, to the gospel that they've heard. So that's why word and hear are, are spoken so many times. So let's talk about the different people that we see in this parable and we have the first one in these set of verses right here person number one so this is someone who just doesn't believe in jesus right the sower sows the seeds fall on the path the birds eat them so they simply reject him um and, and so in rejecting jesus you are rejecting god as well so jesus is god in the flesh and he's sent to us to reveal the Father, to reveal God. So in him we have salvation in life. These seeds don't have any of that. And so it's a picture of those who, even though the word is told to them and they hear it, they don't receive the word and they don't have any uh, eternal life from it. When we do believe, when we do hear the word and accept Jesus Christ, our fate is sealed in heaven forever. These people, by rejecting Jesus, their fate is also sealed forever outside of the presence of God. So again, the insider kind of outsider thing. So you, you can really plainly see this first seed, there's no life. It, it's completely dead and it always will be. Person number two. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So this person hears the word, and immediately they receive it with joy. They hear, and they receive. So it appears that this person does believe in the message of Jesus Christ, and they receive life. 
but then tragedy strikes. Yeah, there's there's no root or depth. It's rocky soil, so the roots can only go so far. And so the sun comes out, withers it up, and he what says— What does the sun represent? Tri- tribulation and persecution. It arises on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. So just as quickly as that life comes, it goes. Mm. Now, in reading and studying and hearing many messages on this parable itself— you may have heard that, you know, this person um, was never really saved. They, they never really fully uh, believed in God. But I think we're on the same page here that we, we kind of disagree with that vein of thought. Because it seems pretty obvious from the text that they hear and they receive it because what are the results from it, right? The seed actually grows. There's a, there's a crop. There's a plant that grows from it. There's life. And, and then the tribulation and comes. So the previous seed that we saw, that first person, it never took root. It never sprouted. There was no life. But this one, there is. And most modern-day scholars do believe that this text is not about salvation. It's about discipleship. That's why there's kind of four different responses that we see. Um, there's really only two responses to the gospel. <laughs> you believe it or you don't believe it. So, obviously, there's four categories here. It's a discipleship text. Um, I've also heard it preached that this text teaches that somehow someone can lose their salvation if they don't remain faithful to Jesus. Um, I don't even have time to refute that one. There's so many texts throughout Scripture that teach the exact opposite. And once we are uh, in the family of God, nobody can snatch us out of the Father's hands. He's a Father. Um, once you become a part of a family, you don't get back out of that family. And if it taught that, essentially, I've, I've personally probably uh, gained and lost my salvation repeatedly throughout my life. Because there's times when I just haven't been faithful. And there's times when I've had varying degrees of faithfulness. And if I was cast out of God's kingdom for that season, it, it's tragic because I'm always trying to do good enough and be faithful enough to somehow stay in God's family or get back into God's family, that's, that's not a peace-filled life. And when we talk about Christmas, we say peace is here between God and man. And, and so I can no longer be at war with God, even though I can live as a dead man for a time in my life. So I think this, this context, this text specifically, seems much more um, about the tragedy of those who believe in Jesus, but they never walk down that discipleship path, that, that sanctifi- sanctification path. So they're, they're not truly invested in becoming the disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, they've, they've been justified, but they have not been sanctified. They haven't walked down that sanctification path. And that's, that's a, a tragedy for us to experience or to see like in our body. Um, it's, it's a tragedy to see uh, in the world today because I, I feel like there are many Christians like this. It's a tragedy for them, but it's also a travesty against the gospel and what the seed is intended to do, what salvation is intended to bring for you and I. And we see kind of the reason here as being persecution or tribulation on account specifically of the gospel, of the message, of the word, of the seed. The, the reality is that, that persecution and tribulation are inevitable for the believer. 
Jesus taught it over and over and over again. Just know they hated me, so they're going to hate you too. Just know they persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you too. We need to be really cautious, especially with new believers, that we don't give them this message of, now that you believed in Jesus, everything's going to be perfect for you. It's going to be great now. The reality is there is peace between you and God, and in eternity, everything's great. (laughs) But the reality is also that you've now created an enemy in Satan himself, and you've made yourself a target. Things are going to get hard. There's you need to be ready for yeah, that. There's persecution. There's there's tribulation. That's inevitable for the believer in this life. I mean, Jesus even talks about that. He teaches on that. So when you have a friend, or when you when you yourself are are tempted to um, you know turn from Jesus, maybe because of something that you're going through, tribulation or, or persecution. Um, don't allow yourself to develop mistrust. And I think it's sometimes easy for us when bad things happen, we, we automatically mistrust Jesus or mistrust God. Like, why, why is God allowing this to happen to me? I, I'm doing everything I should be. Why I, I can't trust Jesus that he's going to take care of me. I think a lot of us also go into hibernation mode. And we just disconnect, fight yeah. or flight, yeah. and we're like, I'm running. Um, persecution, tribulation comes, and all and we leave. Well, on the other hand, it's you get angry at God, right? Like I'm That's so the fight of the fight and flight. frustrated that God allowed this to happen or why did God take this person from me or, or or whatever it may be that that fight or flight that you're talking about. Yeah, we run away, we get we get confused somehow and in some way we fall away from fellowship. We might even leave the church. Um, we lack growth. We never really fully commit. And it breaks Jesus' heart, and it should break our hearts in a big, huge way. All right, number three here. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. This one's a a little bit more confusing maybe to, to take at glance um, because it never actually says that they receive the word of God. But if you look at the tragic result at the end of verse 19 there, it should kind of give us a clue, right? The, the tragedy is that uh, is not that life does not occur, but that it's unfruitful. There, there's no fruit. And he says, and it proves unfruitful. So this response seems to, again, be that they believe in Jesus, but they never produce fruit. Yeah. There's no sanctification. Again, the tragedy of a life that should have could have been amazing for Jesus Christ because they received the word, and yet they did nothing with it. So this time, it's because of the, the cares, cares of, of the, the world, world. Yep. deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things. So all these, you could really fit into a category called idolatry. That's essentially what that is. It's something that takes our focus off of God, something that distracts us, something that chokes us out like these thorn bushes do. So, I mean, that could be family, that could be job, that could be possessions, money. I mean, it could be any of those things um, that deceive us into being a better uh, result than what Jesus can give us, what God can ultimately give us. When we shift our focus, and, and again, even a believer can do this. We can shift our focus to something else uh, that we we find our satisfaction in and, and our identity in, something else that we end up essentially worshiping. 
And those idols, they choke the word, they choke the gospel, and they render it unfruitful. And so somehow, again, this person falls away from fellowship. They may even leave the church. They lack growth. It breaks Jesus' heart, and it should break our hearts also. But then we get to my favorite one. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So finally we get to the fourth person here in our parable, and this person is the one that hears the word of God. It's the one that accepts the word of God. It bears the fruit from that. This is a true disciple of Christ. This is the person that answers that call that we've heard all throughout the book of Mark so far to come and follow me. This is that person. They say, yes, I will come. I will follow you. No matter the cost, no matter what happens in life, no matter the tribulation, no matter the persecution that may come on me for answering this call to discipleship, I will come and I will follow you. That is this person. That's the person I want to be. Yeah. That's the person I want you guys to be. The, the gospel, the seed of the Lord goes into your soul and sprouts life. Life that just can't be held back. It just exponentially grows. Everybody around you sees you and they're like, man, that, that guy smells like Jesus. And he, he's, he's, he looks like Jesus. And it feels like I'm with Jesus when I'm with him. That's what I want people to feel when they've been in my presence. That God's word has affected me viscerally. Remember the call. The call to discipleship is to be with him so that we can be like him and do like him. That's what the church should be full of. And I promise you, I would rather pastor a church with a dozen of these people than 1,200 of the other categories of those who are just like, yeah, I'm good enough being saved. Just get me a seat in the the nosebleed section of heaven, and I'm fine with that. I just need to make sure I'm not going to hell. I'm good with that. That's not okay. Why are we okay with that? Why do we think mediocrity is acceptable? Jesus tells this parable, and he wants everyone to go, oh, my goodness, what happened to that second seed? What happened to that third seed? It should appall us. It should bother us. It should hurt us. And we should be those who say, I want to hear. And I want to encourage those around me to hear and really hear the word and be changed by the word. A community full of people who are disciples is a powerful place. And 20-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold are the fruitful results of a group of people that get together and say, I just want to be with Jesus and find my satisfaction in him, and then I just want to be just like him. I want to be just like him, that wherever I go, people feel like they've experienced Jesus himself because we are his ambassadors, we are his disciples, we are his apostles. I think that's part of our passion and in our identity at the GraceWorks is that we reach those people. We reach both the unchurched and the de-churched. That's what we want. We want to be a church that is welcome to, that 
those types of people, both categories, feel welcome and, and hear the word of God preach. And get challenged to change. And challenged to change. Because we don't want a church full of believers who are not disciples. That is not what we want, both at the Graceworks and globally as the church. That's not what God has called us to be. That's not how God has called his church to be. We want to be believers who are disciples. We want to be like that fourth person in our parable Mm. who hears the word of God, who allows it to grow in their heart, and and they bring forth fruit Mm. when it's time, when it's in its season. Amen. Let's pray right now.